Hey everybody, Ron Burke, Editor-in-Chief for Gaming Trend, here to tell you a little bit about an upcoming game that might be of interest. 12 Realms Dungeon Land, a new Kickstarter effort from board game veterans Mage Company, is finally underway. Before you can commit your dollars, I imagine you'd probably like to know what this game is about. In 12 Realms Dungeon Land, an evil and powerful magic has mutated the populace of the 12 Realms. As the source of this evil is unknown, it's up to the player to tackle dungeons, banish twisted evil monsters and villains to save the 12 Realms. In the game, players take on roles like Prince Charming, Red Riding Hood, Grumpy Dwarf, The Wizard of Oz, and many more familiar faces from popular lore. Taking between 45 and 90 minutes for a session, the game is not an expansion, but in fact a standalone game, and if you own the previous 12 Realms games, you'll be able to use them with a conversion kit. Foes including werewolves, bandits, bosses, and other beasties are AI-controlled, meaning that all players get to be the hero. The game is built for up to four players, including being able to play it solo, and it's aimed at ages 13 and up. Dungeon Lane will also feature a campaign mode, an arena allowing up to eight players to square off, and a new unique mode called Master Quest. In Master Quest, players who can't tackle the 45 to 90 minute complete campaign can tackle a single scenario complete with different endings and boss battles. The game is live on Kickstarter, so hit our link in the podcast to check out all the details and pledge for yourself. Keep an eye on GamingTrend.com for a full look behind the scenes, and stay tuned for our eventual full review. Welcome to the GT Reboot. Rumors are abound in the video game industry. Assassin's Creed Origins had an image leaked. Far Cry 5 may be set in Montana. And the Mass Effect series apparently is going on the back burner for some time. Also, Hunter Wolf joins us this week to discuss with me his feelings on Edith Finch. We're so glad you're here this week to talk to us. Let's boot up. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Gaming Trend Reboot Podcast. As always, I am one of your two co-hosts, Mike Pierce, joined by my partner in crime, the man from New York, with curly hair and a beautiful voice, Mr. Joseph DeClara. Joe, how are you doing? Well, a couple of those things are true, but I appreciate it, Mike. I'm doing well. Uh, speaking of New you York... You have curly hair? No, that's, that's absolutely true. If I let oh, it grow okay, long good. enough, uh, I thankfully... Uh, cut all my hair off recently. I was I was rocking a mop for a little while there, but uh, dude, yeah, it still looks pretty long true. to me from here. That's but, well, sure, but all right. Well, you are as we've divulged and discussed previous weeks ago that uh, you're a military man, so you gotta you gotta keep the clean shave all the time, which which I appreciate. I think that's I think it's a good look for you. I'm but, wearing uh, a beard though. You're, you're rocking you know? a beard. That's true. You, you're you're more uh, devil may care nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> phrases i've never heard used to describe mike <laughs> right yeah I, I don't think i have either and and on that note we are also joined uh by a frequent a frequent guest on our show mr christian decoster christian what's up man uh what's up is finals are over so i can finally sleep at night hey right. cool yeah good for you uh, man yeah i think it's ending for a lot of people the, catch up on all the Hunt- games for sure and definitely don't Hunter Wolf, the the man who's been fired from the podcast, what four times now, something like that. He's he's done with finals too. Oh, Mr. I, Hunter I feel like Wolf, he yes. gets fired every episode. Yeah, well, that's why he's not or, on this week. Or, he or, got fired or, last week. Well, last week he got fired. Yes, he was on last oh, week. Okay. It was me, him, and Zach, and I fired him. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So he's not. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> about right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, without further ado, we're going to jump into the news, and we've got a couple leaks um, this week. Probably one of the big ones 
is Assassin's Creed. Um, we got a leaked screenshot of what looks like the main character in some sort of a old-fashioned sailboat in a river, and apparently this is going to be set in Egypt. Is the is the going the going thought? Um, but there have been uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but there have been no official um, statements put out by Ubisoft about any of this. So we're basically waiting for E3 to see exactly what what comes of this leak. The o- the only official word that we've had on the next Assassin's Creed was that it would be uh, pushed back to not pushed back as in delayed, but moreover that uh, the franchise was going to take a year break. Uh, that the 2016 right. lull was in effect as uh, we assume a strategy uh, put in place by Ubisoft because the series was. Uh, seeing a decline because everyone was sick of Assassin's Creed and uh, certainly people were uh, burnt by a couple of the titles or at least one of them, Unity, had some bugs that were kind of blown out of proportion or were very significant. But yeah, they took a year off. So this will be the first Assassin's Creed game since 2015, uh, which was, I think, the one set in in London. Uh, Syndicate. Yes, Assassin's Creed Syndicate. And uh, yeah, then... Prior to that, Kotaku reported that the game would be set in uh, ancient Egypt, or just in Egypt, and that, uh, like Ubisoft said, that it wasn't going to come until 2017. Right. Go ahead, Christian. I'm actually excited by the idea of an Assassin's Creed that goes, like, back farther, because I think the series kind of needs to go back to basics a bit. Uh, The last game I played in the series was 3, which I know is a while back, but um, I kind of just didn't like, it seemed like almost there were too many options. Like uh, your uh, Connor, I think his name was, was just so loaded down with weaponry that I'm pretty sure if he like tripped and fell, everything would go off and he'd just kill everyone right next to him. <laughs> <laughs> like just too many springs and bombs and poison daggers and everything yeah. on him. Yeah. Well, it's it an almost- interesting it's an interesting thing you bring up because I mean they've been you know they've been steadily progressing forward in time, right? With with yeah. all the games, and you know like let's see they they were in London sometime in like the eighteen hundreds or something, yeah. right? Like it was kind of industrial revolution time period. Mm-hmm. Right. So you go too much further, like another one or two games, and you're going to be somewhere around modern territory ish, maybe. And then you run the risk of starting to be similar to other games, potentially like Hitman or, or something else, maybe. So I think I think you're kind of right. Like I think it's sort of they're getting to that point where it's time to think about going in reverse a little bit and uh, and and going back to the basics as well. Because from yeah, I've heard the same thing that like just too many weapons, you know. I mean, and that was a time period where they were in this weird middle ground of like, well, do we use guns or do we use swords or do we use both or do we and so yeah. You know. I mean, like if, if they were to go futuristic or not futuristic, but like closer to modern, there are plenty of settings that would be really awesome like if they did one set in like old Hollywood or something or like uh something oh, in the something in the the 20s with um like gangsters and stuff like that. That would be awesome. But I, I think that they need to go back a little bit and maybe reduce the ridiculous uh, amount of weapons that you can carry. Right. Yeah. I right. The modern time Assassin's Creed 
uh, theory or the you know the wishful uh, thinking is interesting to me because it seemed like the trajectory that the series was headed towards because of uh, well just like you said the uh, natural progression of the series and their settings. Uh, and also the actual fiction, uh, which was originally based in modern time. Like you remember how there was that guy, right. Desmond Miles, he was the main guy and they were right. tracking his chrono chronology or his ancestry. And that's how you were getting all these stories. Like in modern times, Desmond was the descendant of all these assassins and they were checking his DNA to go back in time to all these other assassins. And it was slowly, he was also like in some of the games, he was adopting some of the, uh, the abilities like the, you know, Kung Fu or whatever abilities, just like the matrix, like through kind of osmosis, uh, like being exposed to these assassin scenarios. So it seemed like you were eventually going to get to this culmination point wherein you, uh, actually get to play as an assassin in modern time. And that would be like right. the big yeah. thing. And then that just never happened because, uh, well, for me, I assume that because most people didn't care for the Desmond miles story after a while, cause it just got outrageous and silly. Yeah. Uh, and but, that's why they killed him. Yeah, and then they uh, spoiler for Assassin's Creed what three or I <laughs> yeah. forget whatever it was. <laughs> right. They ended up killing him. Yeah, and like I I never actually saw all that, but I I just I knew I found out it happened, and I was like I couldn't care less. And frankly, I couldn't care less for the series either because they they had been oversaturated, and you know right. annualization I think doesn't suit a game like this. Maybe now they are. Uh, maybe it's ready to come back. I. I ne don't necessarily love the idea of seeing them come back and it just being a prettier, uh, more bigger Assassin's Creed. I hope they came back and they've had some time, whichever developer, whichever team has been working on this game, to come up with some new ideas for this series and for the general Ubisoft open world format. So if there's that, I am excited. If it's more Assassin's Creed, then you know, take a couple more years then. Right. Yeah. We'll and see. Go ahead. I, Go ahead. I think the one last thing I want to bring up is you mentioned like, not only did they kill Desmond, they really killed Desmond. Like they, they made it obvious. They weren't bringing him back. They're like, Oh no, we, uh, we dissected him and took his brain so we can use it to keep accessing his memories. Oh fuck. Oh, I did and they were just that. like, we're, we are not bringing this character back. See, I didn't play three. Cause I just heard it was like a, a train wreck. Like it wasn't working properly. So I didn't oh, know was, what happened. It but, was awful. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that was, that was like at the end of three, they were like, Oh, he died peacefully. And then at four, they were like, no, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I did like, I did like four though. Like the, the yeah. caveat of like, okay, it's Assassin's Creed and pirates and wind waker, uh, fusion. I was like, all right. I mean, I guess that's fucking awesome. So I guess I got to play this. Uh, but I mean, other than that, so I'm excited to see the ship. That's, that's nice to see out of this yeah. picture, if anything. So yeah, we'll see. So on the subject of Ubisoft leaks, we have another one that happened this week with another big Ubisoft franchise. And that would be far cry. And, um, this is even more of a strange and, uh, like non-specific leak, I guess. Well, it's because it's then, not uh, necessarily a leak. It is a report, and then a some report, a yeah. lot of a lot of uh, speculation from that report and other things. It's it's a lot of it's a mess essentially. Yeah, it's basically the only thing that has been reported so far or rumored or however whatever you want to say 
um, is that supposedly Far Cry 5, so the next Far Cry, is going to be set somewhere in Montana. And this comes from the Great Falls Tribune, which is uh, a local paper in Montana. And they spotted a film crew in their area. And uh, a man named Jeff, and it's a French name. God damn it, I'm not going to get it probably. right. Guillaume, probably. Let's go probably. Oh, yeah, yeah. Guillaume or something like that. Uh, he was a producer on this film crew, and apparently he stated that the the shoot that they were doing was actually for an ad that was going to be in an upcoming sequel to an existing global franchise. Um, so, I don't know. We'll we'll see we'll see how that develops, but yeah, most sure. likely E three will will shed some light on this. But for now, basically, we're left with the strong possibility that the next. Uh, Far Cry is going to be set in Montana, and that's that's about the long and short of it. Yeah, that's so what do you the, guys? What do you guys think about that? Would you would you would you want to play? I mean, I'm not a Far Cry fan, but I don't know if I would want to play a Far Cry set in Montana anyway. That's kind of weird. The farthest I've ever gotten into Far Cry is I played an hour and a half of three, and then I I I have a confession to make. I am terrified of water levels in games. Oh sure. <laughs> like, I, I can't play them. So I got to that point where, like, they, they were like, oh, you need to go into this underwater cave to uh, get mushrooms for your friend so we can save her. Well, what a great game. There, so glad I played it, this. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, basically. And they were like, by the way, watch out for sharks. And I just said, okay. And I, I returned it on Steam and I was just <laughs> I done with that. it. So I mean, definitely that's okay, don't ever play. Don't ever play Song of the Deep then. Because yeah. that entire thing is in the water. Well, yeah. No, that's why I... I didn't want to play yeah. that one. i mean that's right. that is the most rational approach to take to the idea of someone being like oh by the way one last thing watch out for sharks it's like okay how about fuck you and i'm out and that <laughs> right. is a totally rational reaction no well, I, yeah 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 that, that's weird because like it's just video games i've actually swam with sharks before but in the game I oh don't you're crazy to. you're you're an insane human okay oh yeah so anyway i uh <laughs> oh, i i'm a i'm a fan of the far cry series uh i played only bits of far cry 2 when i say bits i only just like messed around in it and it was uh retrospectively uh i got it in a steam sale because i have a pc now and like it, it was last time and uh for some reason the copy didn't run for me but anyway that's a very highly acclaimed game uh for its immersive uh emergent gameplay and uh, a mm-hmm. bunch of other things but i did play also far cry 3 on xbox 360 when that came out and uh, that I was a big fan of. And uh, I loved the abilities that you would get. And I loved just the standard Ubisoft format in this tropical world. Uh, I love most of it. Uh, I think it was ridiculous and like monster energy ad worthy. Like just the this dude bro with his other dude bro friends uh, going to this, um, you know, uh, this uh, indigenous area or this let's say, you know, impoverished country to like chill. And then they just get into this crazy, you know, gun war, like uh, ridiculous and drug war, but it was still a fun game. And uh, I look forward to any far cry game. I liked four, even though it was far less uh, interesting. Uh, it was still just a fun roam around, collect guns and uh, take out encampments of enemies. It's always fun. Uh, do I want to see it take weird uh, approaches to settings? Sure, that's fine. Uh, but the thing about this story was funny is just that it's based on this survey that Ubisoft had put out ages ago, or maybe it was like a 
year ago or a couple of years ago, they put out a survey saying, oh, listen, what kind of settings would you like to see for uh, the Far Cry Go and the Far Cry series Go, excuse me. And it said something like, you know, dinosaur era or even uh, the Western era. And that's one of the assumptions that was made that this was going to be a Western game because it's set in Montana and this uh, whole, what's it called? Uh, this this ad thing was set in Montana and it was seemed to look like a Western thing, but that's not necessarily what's happening. Uh, it was kind of all uh, constructed, this story. And that's a lot of the stories you saw that uh, Far Cry 5 is going to be uh, Western. It's going to be set in Montana. And we don't necessarily know that's true. If you look at the articles, they're kind of stitched together, all these theories. So I found that funny, but I mean, I would be totally down for a Far Cry Western. That sounds That sounds sweet. For sure. Yeah. I'd be down for it because I like that style of gameplay. And as far as I know, there aren't any sharks in Montana. So, yeah, you're in. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely no sharks there. Absolutely true. Yeah. A lot of prairies. A lot of those, for sure. And a lot of mountains. So, if you're scared of prairies, Christian, I have sour news for you. Oh, darn. Five, probably (laughs) full of those. Moving on to some more news, we've got, uh, it seems like we're always talking about Mass Effect here, but here here we are yet again, and um, the news here basically is that um, Bioware Montreal is supposedly going to be scaled down a little bit. The next Mass Effect game is basically on hold for the moment, supposedly, and in the meantime, Bioware Montreal is going to find themselves as a support studio instead of uh, a development studio. And, uh, you know, put in whatever implications you want about how well or 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 how not well uh, Mass Effect Andromeda did there. I'm not going to speculate on that at all. But um, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that's a... Are, are you happy to see that Mass Effect is on is on a current hiatus and that at least it looks like from, from this that Bioware Montreal hopefully is going to be supporting and improving the uh, Andromeda experience. What do you think about that? Um, I, I haven't played Andromeda. Uh, I've heard pretty mixed things about it, like that, that it's, it's good overall, but it has a lot of flaws. Uh, I'm glad that they're like, still supporting the game and still trying to fix things because i think there was another story earlier today or earlier this week about that um but other than that uh, i haven't i haven't really played much of mass effect so i I don't really know what i uh, what i also think is interesting about this is that and i and this is the first time i'd read this but apparently last month some bioware employees from the same uh montreal studio so to back up both Bioware and Dice are part of EA. Yeah, they are. Well, and they are subsidies of EA. Like they are. They're exactly. Yeah. Develop their teams of EA. Yeah. Right. They're associated with EA, and so I didn't realize this, but apparently last month, uh, a handful, a number, whatever, some amount of employees from Bioware Montreal were transferred to a studio called EA Motive, which is also based in Montreal, to start working on Battlefront Two. So okay. 
yeah, it's an interesting little little tidbit for you there. They're getting getting pulled off of whatever they were working on, and they're going to start working on the new Battlefront, which of course is primarily being developed by Dice, but it is an EA it's an EA deal. So yeah, that's an interesting. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. I uh, I don't know what to think. I haven't played Andromeda either, but um, I hope they don't. I as as mixed as all of the feedback on that game was, um, I hope they don't give up on it. Yeah, I hope I, they don't I'm end sh- on a bad note. I'm sure you don't see Mass Effect go away forever. Mass Effect is, uh, it can be in the right under the right circumstances a cash cow. Right, it is a huge right. franchise name. Absolutely, uh, and it's regard the the last uh, series, the trilogy was considered the greatest series of that generation by a lot of people. Uh, I certainly love Mass Effect 2. I didn't play a lot of Mass Effect. It was only that one game. Uh, we don't have a lot of context, unfortunately, just for the quality of the game. Mass Effect Andromeda, I mean, because uh, we didn't play it. There are a couple people on staff that did, and uh, I'm sure I know how they feel about it. But, I mean, when it comes to the brass tacks of it, uh, you know, this game did not perform well, probably. Uh, it p- most likely did not perform well due to its uh, harsh criticism. So, uh, and it also became kind of one of those uh, dumping bins, you know, like people were upset by hearing the fact that Mass Effect Andromeda wasn't good. So they dumped on EA even more and dumped on even BioWare. We heard some terrible stories about that, you know, people uh, actually getting hostile with you know ea developers uh via the internet and stuff and it's just uh it just looks like a train wreck from that perspective so uh you know this is something one can expect uh very sometimes the worst of it is that the team behind a game that doesn't do well or doesn't review well gets dissolved and or laid off uh which is always not good um this case, uh, they got moved around and they're working on new things. One of the new things, I don't know if we already said, uh, but is potentially the Bioware's next big franchise, which is supposed to be this Destiny-esque uh, live service game, which uh, I guess sounds exciting. Um, it's, I again, down to brass tacks, if your game doesn't perform well and if uh, it looks like it's a troubled studio or it's a troubled development cycle then uh probably the best bet is to drop it off it's sad to see a beloved franchise go away but sometimes that's the best thing for a franchise sometimes you don't need to keep re uh rehashing the same thing over and over right like it's it's fine for them to go off and do new things now Um, all good things come to an end is what they say right it's true it's true i did again we didn't play mass effect andromeda so maybe there are some people out there this is what me what i thought of seeing this story there might have been some people who felt strongly about mass effect andromeda strongly in a positive sense maybe they liked it or more likely strongly in i want to like this game because it's mass effect and i want mass effect to do well but fuck this game is it's broken or this game doesn't look good or this game is just not what I'm looking for, etc. So when you run into that, there the hope is give the criticism, see them come back and do better next time. That looks like that's not gonna happen. And maybe there's a lot of people out there who were very harsh with this game and now think, oh shit, now there there's not gonna be any mass effect? That kind of sucks. I wanted more. So I feel for that and I feel for uh Bioware Montreal uh 
having not getting that second chance. Uh, whether maybe they don't well, want it, you know, but you know, it's, we don't know if they're not getting a second chance yet, though, Joe. I mean, with, with Mass Effect yeah. is what I mean. Uh, chances are they're not getting a second chance right now. With based on this story, Mass Effect is going cold for a little while, and for Bioware a little while, Mont- but so. And, and moreover, Bioware Montreal is going to be a support studio, as in not necessarily their own team making their own games. But just hold the phone for a second, because there was, a, um, I guess there was an earnings call with the EA CEO, Andrew Wilson, earlier this week. And he said um, that their expectations for Mass Effect are still strong for the future and the franchise overall. Now, I know that's a really broad, vague statement. I get yeah, that. Yeah, PR talk, yeah. Right, and PR talk. But... That definitely uh, does not sound like you know it's done. It's he's definitely he's leaving it open at least, which is great. Yeah, I mean, so. you let me know when uh, a PR head or a uh, an executive head comes ahead and says, "Fuck Mass Effect, it's dead. <laughs> We're putting it in the ground, never again. Fuck all you Mass Effect fans." Like that would never, ever, ever happen. Uh, I know. So I'm just saying you can't. I, you can't write I'm not it off saying. Yet. Look, look, look. I was only saying that um, maybe there were some fans out there that wanted to see better from Bioware Montreal, or they wanted to see the Andromeda series continue, but they wanted uh, massive improvement, and that's fair, and that's often the path that video game development takes. And in this case, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. We're not going to get. As far as we can tell, we're not going to get a, a Mass Effect Andromeda 2, uh, and maybe not even a Mass Effect, uh, another Mass Effect game in the near three, four, five year future. Uh, I could be wrong, but you know, it just judging by the report, that's what it looks like, and that can be sad for some people, and I feel for that. Well, we'll yeah, we'll we'll see. That that could be true, and. Similarly, God, it seems like every story is related this week, but um, similarly with uh, games that we're not going to see for a while, we've got another game, another very famous game and franchise that we may not see for a while coming up here, and that's Hitman. And uh, just as a refresher, so Hitman came out sometime last year, I want to say like March maybe, the first yeah. the first episode released. Around, does that sound right, Christian? Like yeah. March 2016-ish? Uh, I, yeah, I know it was... Um, they had a demo of it at PAX, and it had been out by that time. So It started right, it spring right. 2016, yeah. Okay, yeah. So somewhere around then, um, IO Interactive and uh, publisher Square Enix put out the first... And I think it was more than one episode, wasn't it? I think the first, the first release was like two episodes, maybe. I don't think it was just one. The, the um, first one, I think, was it was like a prologue, and then that, what was it, the Paris mission or whatever the first was training. was. Yeah, sure. the prologue, the training, and then Paris, I think, sure. is what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, they took, um, for those of you who don't know or don't remember, they took a, a different approach, a much different approach to releasing the game. And uh, instead of releasing a game in its entirety, they released it periodically in episodes. So every month, two months, three months, um, a new episode, or in this case, a new mission, and usually like an intro cinematic and uh, a conclusion cinematic would be released with this particular episode. And that continued until, when the hell did the last one come out? November? Was it November? Late late in the year, yeah, I think, yeah. Somewhere around then. Um, And so that's what they did. 
But apparently, the game did not do very well. I think they sold just over 600,000 units, which um, is it sounds like a lot, but it's not. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's no. not a lot. And um, so Square Enix has basically decided to part ways with IO Interactive. Uh, and since Square Enix owns the Hitman IP, that really puts the future of the Hitman franchise into question. Uh, so who the hell knows what's going to happen there? But that, for me in particular, although I was very much a critic, critic of the episodic format, and I still am, that's really sad because I yeah. love the Hitman franchise. Um, and, and you I were a fan I, of this game it, recently, yeah. Even yeah, Aside I, from the episodic, yeah. Right, and I and I feel like IO Interactive has always been synonymous with um, with quality. Like they don't, they generally don't release shitty games or broken games or messed up games. I mean, yeah, some of the Hitman games were better than others, um, but they always have high quality games and uh, usually a compelling story. Their NPCs are hysterical, like all the time. Like I've yeah. never been in a game where just the random people dotted around and their conversations are more hilarious like um just as an example because this was an episodic format i think i was playing I, just this week i was playing the last episode so of this current game of hitman and i walked by a couple or two buddies or something sitting at a bar and they started making fun of donald trump and <laughs> they didn't they weren't they weren't directing it specifically at donald trump it was you know vague but sure, it was sure. clear that it was about him. It was like, oh, yeah, man, that guy who's running for president, he's got that famous hairdo, and he's got really small hands. He's just <laughs> a straight talker, and like I believe him, and he's really smart, and he just can't be bought. And they never they never mentioned the dude's name, yeah. but it was – it was very, totally, yeah, yeah. It was totally so timely and on point. And I just, I like, I just stood there next to them and listened to the whole fucking conversation because I, I just couldn't stop laughing. And yeah. Yeah, it's moments like that for me that made the Hitman series and IO Interactive uh, special. And so it's, I, I'm not excited about this shitty news, but hopefully someone, someone picks it up. We'll see. What do you guys think? Um, I, I actually, I generally like the episodic format. I did not like the way they did it for um, for Hitman, uh, right. this most recent one. Not not because I, I think that it could work with Hitman, but just the way they went about it at the beginning where they were like, oh, we're not doing it the way you thought we were. And it was like, okay, how many episodes are there going to be? We don't know. When are you going to release them? We don't <laughs> we know. Don't know. <laughs> how, how much are they going to cost? Well, you can pay this up front or you can buy them separate and you don't know which is the better value because you don't know how many episodes there are going to be right which uh i, I think yeah. like i know I, I rag on telltale a lot especially recently but they you know consistently they're like it's going to be this many episodes the season will be done around this time so you can expect them like one episode a month and yeah that'll be that's it like uh I think that's a much better way to do episodic games is to be upfront about how many episodes there are going to be. Well, and you got to wonder too. I mean, it, you know, it was received very well critically. The the uh, Hitman in terms of its overall its overall scope, the whole game was received quite well. And um, you got to wonder how much this episodic format and some of the criticism that you just that you just gave it um, contributed to its lackluster right. sales. 
you know, and I'm sure there are other factors, you know, like probably being overshadowed or buried by other big releases, especially because, um, you know, if you're only releasing one episode, that doesn't exactly compare to a full game. Um, right. and, and, and various other things. But you do have to wonder, I mean, was that really the best choice? And I, I still stand by what I've said many times. It was not a good choice for Hitman. So, I don't... But but who the fuck knows? I don't know. Yeah. Joe, what do you think? My, I, my only wonder of the f- episodic format is... You know, those two things. The one you mentioned, how this factored into its lackluster sales. Uh, and two, how it contributed to the format and style in which the game was designed. Uh, one of the main things that people loved about this game was uh, the fact that you got these five or six, however many, um, spaces that were just jam-packed with detail, that were jam-packed with all sorts of... NPC instances and scripted events uh, and things that you could explore and continually just invest more time in and find more and more new subtle things that were thrown in there. That's all I've ever heard about the game. I didn't play the game myself, but just over and over, that was the colorful language that I heard. And that's that's right up my alley. But I didn't buy Hitman because one, I'm not a fan of the series. I never, ju- I just never got into it. But two, right. I just, I kind of just wanted to wait till it would come out in full. Uh, I, but like, I kind of wish I remember early in our days on this podcast, me, you and me and you, Mike, I said, like, I kind of feel like I might be missing out because there are these elusive targets or what have you, which was a really cool concept when it was described to me. Um, these like once a month or once a week or whatever instances where you can jump in, get one shot at taking out this NPC. And if you don't nail it, that's it. You lose. Uh, so I felt like there was something happening and I was missing, you know, in the community and in the hitman space. Uh, so it's a cool and interesting top, uh, concept, just this, uh, fluid, active, uh, format of releasing this game. And also, I don't know how it contributed to the actual design of the game. It sounds like that could have been very well why they did it, not necessarily a marketing tactic purely. Uh, I'm sure the design had something to do with it. So it's sad to see that something that was critically well-received, something that uh, was innovative, very, very uh, creative and different, um, it didn't succeed And in the eyes of the publisher, obviously. Um, right. and there's a lot of that going around, uh, like maybe not a lot of that going around, but like, there's just a lot of franchises we're talking about mass effect a minute ago is now going cold reportedly. And then, uh, recently and a few, few months ago, we heard that mass, uh, was it Deus Ex series is not going to be resolved. Like the, the mankind right. divided ended very abruptly, I hear, and was clearly set up for a sequel, and it's not getting it. And, like, my hope is, I've seen Square Enix as well and easily criticize company. I see them doing well and supporting a lot of cool ideas and cool games, like, say, Deus Ex and especially the Hitman series. Right. And it saddens me to see that these games are now disappearing. I hope that it's making way for new ideas and new things and new good ideas, uh, not necessarily more, 
you know, Montreal based, not nothing against Montreal, but more like, you know, Quebec or Montreal based companies to just generate a bunch of mobile games or whatever, or free to play games, you know, I hope it's in, in to, it's, they're hoping to make way for some new, uh, talent and new ideas. Um, but it is sad to see something that was well received, not do well. Uh, having said that, yeah, I didn't buy mass, I, excuse me, Hitman, and I hope to, uh, once it, once it goes down in price now, cause now it's a little late and I might as well wait a little longer. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's generally my thought on it. Yeah. Sad to see always. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, leave poor, poor agent 47 in the dust. Yeah. That it's heartbreaking. And, uh, I also hope. I, last... Sorry, I also hope IO Interactive goes on and does something cool. You know, like I now so maybe too. they're. They are a great studio. I don't know where they where they're at financially, and uh, I don't know where this leaves them. But I hope they go on and do something great, something new, and and uh, knock us out of the park with it. You know. I hope they're able to, yeah, to take this chance to be fully independent because, um, in my experience, a lot of the really great games out there are made by studios that are able to develop and publish independently because they don't have this horrible oversight over the top of them that are pushing to meet deadlines and this, that, and the other. Like EA, of course, is the example that everyone would use. But they seem like a phenomenal developer to me. So I, I hope they're able to use this opportunity, like you said, to do something that blows us all away. No, no pun intended, of course. <laughs> Because huh? um, it's an assassin so, joke. Right? Exactly, right. <laughs> so we're, we're going to go ahead and uh, touch on the last piece of news today, which is, which is an interesting one. And this is another one of these like multiple source deals. And supposedly, um, so Blizzard obviously has its massively, gigantically popular Overwatch franchise. And they're trying to start a professional, a professional league around that. And just like you would with a sports team, basketball, soccer, baseball, whatever, you have to buy into a league if you're going to have a team. This was obvious to some people, and for whatever reason, that did not click in my head until uh, earlier today. But um, apparently, Blizzard is charging roughly $20 million per team to buy into their league, with escalation prices up or down, depending on if it's a really hot market or a smaller market. So, for example, you might pay significantly more than $20 million if you were in L.A. or New York, or you might pay a bit less if you were in somewhere that's deemed less hot. I don't know exactly where that would be. but um, And because of these supposedly vastly inflated prices, um, they're not getting a whole lot of people buying into this, so they're having trouble starting up the league. And just for comparison buying a team or a franchise or whatever you want to call it into uh, uh, League of Legends which is made by Riot Games that costs roughly 1.8 million dollars so you do the math that's just what is that 10 percent roughly 10 yeah roughly 10 percent of the list price for getting a franchise into Overwatch yeah. so Forget it. That's ten percent for the the price for the most popular game in esports, right? The League of Legends uh, scene is immensely huge. It's probably it is easily the biggest esports yeah. scene right now. So, yeah, League yeah. of Legends right. is massive, and I mean, just under two million bucks. That's 
that's ten percent essentially. Yeah, and, of and asking. how how long? That's my other question: is how long has League of Legends been around? Because they've had that time to build up to that. Right. They, the I first think. yeah the first tournaments weren't two million dollars. Right. And the, the first big Overwatch tournaments because I know it's had tournaments before, but the first ones that like at this level, uh, twenty million dollars is ridiculous, especially since. Um, you know, a lot of people in the esports industry, or not industry, in that sort of space, uh, don't do that as their primary job. Right. Like a lot of them have other jobs, and it's a hobby. Uh, so it's kind of ridiculous to ask them that much money for right. it. Right. Yeah, it's still a growing thing. I mean, it's you know, game games are hugely popular. Professional gaming is growing and growing and growing. But yeah, it's it seems like. Uh, it seems like quite a bit of a reach, even for a super popular franchise like Overwatch. And like you said, I mean, it's like the league hasn't even been started yet. So it's like, yeah, you're, you're asking for these massive deposits of money on what is kind of an unknown quantity in the sense that people don't actually know if the league is going to be successful or not or profitable yeah. or not. Yeah, right? the, it, it so, is basically based on this is all predicated on the fact that overwatch is popular right that is just right. it's just a bankroll on that factor obviously right. overwatch pro play has been growing in popularity right. it's nothing compared to league of legends or even dota or right. uh, counter-strike uh it is getting immensely popular uh it has a lot of potential i don't know if it's like I don't know. Uh, I see the League of Legends and Dota scene and just the way the nature of the games matters, right? The actual watchability of a Dota game and of a League of Legends game is uh, is easily accessible. I don't know what's going on like when I'm watching one of those games because uh, I'm not inclined to that type of gameplay. I've never played it. Obviously, if you play the game, you know everything about it so you understand what's going on. Uh, but even like a game like Counter-Strike, which I didn't really play, I've watched pro matches of Counter-Strike often, and I know what's going on. Uh, right. I didn't really play any of it. Overwatch, I've played dozens of hours of since its release. I've played a lot of Overwatch, and even me, I watching an, uh, you know, excuse me, a pro-level match of Overwatch, I don't always know what's going on. It's a very chaotic, very fast, very... A jumbled game uh so it's hard to gather all of the dynamics of what's happening because they're very split second and they're also it's just like i said just the actual aesthetic of it is chaotic so i yeah. don't know how big the future is for overwatch pro scene and obviously neither do any of these teams who aren't gonna you know bankroll 20 million dollars on it being the biggest uh esports thing ever so I, With the I, exception, I apparently, like... of the of the craft sports group, but of course, that's that's just a report as well. But sure. Robert Robert Kraft, the guy who owns Craft Food and uh, the Craft Sports Group, which is the Patriots and uh, the MLS team, the New England Revolution, they have supposedly already purchased a spot, uh, sure. and that of course makes sense because Jesus Christ, it's you know only like one of the biggest sports group franchises probably on the planet with. Pockets more than deep enough to float twenty million dollars without really worrying yeah. about whether they get it back or not. Sure, so. I mean, look, it's always a risk, and I, I, we should say that I, I wouldn't say that like the teams that are bankrolling on this aren't necessarily like these 
uh, semi-pros who also have other part-time jobs or are in school, these younger people, they're not the ones spending the money necessarily. Right, uh, right. Teams like, you said Kraft, who are you know essentially giant corporations, or teams like Cloud9, which are basically uh, esports teams, and they are a little smaller, uh, but they have teams in all sorts of video games. Uh, those are the people uh, fronting the money for this thing. And I mean, right. even so, uh, this is a wild investment, especially considering the esports scene. There's this like, so, I'm sorry, there is this fervor for the esports scene because it's kind of like this land grab we're in the middle of that, like, we don't know how popular it's going to be, but a lot of people are betting it's like just based on the uh, exponential growth that we've seen over the past few years that it is going to be huge and it's going to be possibly even. Uh, an American or, you know, worldwide pastime, excuse me. So right. there's this frantic land grab going on. Like we got to get all our hands in, uh, in esports. Right. And whenever that happens, someone's going to lose, right? Someone's going to bet on the wrong horse if, in, in the esports thing. And people are not willing to risk 20 million on a game that could easily be that, that not good horse or something. I don't know. <laughs> Right, and and so we. Uh, it just so happens that uh, Mr. Christian DeCoster, our wonderful guest of today, has some some friends who play. Did you say pro? They or uh, competitively. They some play. some semi pro. Um, not all. Well, the thing is, most of them, uh, despite they play Overwatch, very right. few of them play competitive Overwatch. A lot of them play competitive Smash, uh, competitive League, but competitive Overwatch seems to be the thing that. No one really wants to spend a ton of money in, right? Because at this point, you know, no one knows, right? Like it, it's popular, and I mean, Overwatch is phenomenally popular. It's a billion-dollar franchise that has one entry, which is ridiculous, right? But uh, at this point, there's just not enough faith in the competitive scene. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, there's it's, there can be plenty of faith, but when you put $20 million at the front of it, all of a sudden you're like, I, I, I don't know about that much faith, man. <laughs> I mean, your, your game looks great and your numbers look fantastic, but I mean, come on. And according to this report also, Blizzard doesn't seem to be ready to bend. Like, they're not ready to negotiate that number, which is like typical, I guess, and I understandable if you had the right price there but i mean we, we look we don't know anything about this I type of money but i mean it's basically just i think basically their position is they feel like they're sitting on a gold mine and they can charge just about as much as they want for it and and people should be buying in because of the potential and it sounds like a lot of people are quite skeptical about that yeah. so they're not necessarily buying in as quickly as blizzard would like and we'll see what happens we'll see We'll see if push comes to shove and Blizzard's like, oh, shit, all right, we're going to have to start dropping the price. Or if people actually start, you know, enough people actually start buying in that it gains traction and they can start the league up. So I don't know, but someone's going to break one. One or the other side is going to is going to shift a little bit and then we'll. Yeah. And then we'll see what the hell happens. So.
I am here with our editor, one Hunter Wolf, who recently reviewed the uh, quote-unquote walking simulator of the year. Yes. Or if you prefer the uh, virtual environmental story, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah. Hunter gave us the review, and he's a big fan of the game. So, uh, Hunter, thank you for joining us this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what remains to be the fence? You gave it a 100 out of 100. Yeah, I did. Tell us what you thought of the game. Yeah, you know, it was really, I said it in the review, it was really challenging to review this game because it addresses a lot of issues that I have with storytelling in video games. And it does so with with such a really great story that I don't want to spoil for you guys because you just need to experience it. Um that that made it feel re- remarkable to me, and uh, I I think that it's a game um, whose design de- uh, developers will be looking to to in the future. But yeah, what a really special game! It's it's the premise is as you know, it's about a it's a walking simulator about a character named Edith Finch who um, she's the last Finch in her family, and she's returned to her family's ancestral home to uh, explore and. and and discover their stories. Um, yeah, you, you played the game yourself, right? I sure have. Yeah, it's a f- pretty pretty fantastic game, if I were to say so myself. And yeah, uh, yeah it is uh, definitely something of. Um, I wouldn't say it's groundbreaking in video game storytelling, but it's sure. definitely taking the next step uh, in a genre that has been pretty much. Um, has been pretty much established now that walking simulator slash first person uh, environmental storytelling game. And uh, it's doing a lot of cool things with that Uh, as well as just uh, a totally unique thing uh, as far as its story and uh, how it portrays it uh, in video game vocabulary and video game format. Yeah. um, And I think that it does a lot more for just um, storytelling in, in games um, beyond just like the walking simulator genre, like um, I th- what I guess if I'm if I'm getting to it um, in in games, the thing that makes video games so unique uh, from other media like books and, and comics and, and film is that level of interactivity and um, player agency, um, players having being able to engage with with a space. And oftentimes, I think stories in games are just... Uh, de- they're, like, relegated to, like, cutscenes, you know? And that doesn't differentiate it from film or, or TV. Um, it's it's a very, like, linear experience that doesn't demand anything from, uh, from the player, with some ex- exceptions, of course. Um, but... But that's what Edith Finch does really well is that um, it's a there are a series of playable sequences um, that tell the story of the final day of each of Edith Finch's ancestors. And each of each of these playable sequences introduce a new game mechanic that kind of parallels the theme of that that person's um, last days or their character struggle um, or or illustrates in a new way. And I think that's what that's what makes it it so good is that it it just understands video games' unique ability to tell a story. 
Yeah, it definitely takes that approach of uh, what if mechanics can uh, help portray a a, a story dynamic or mm-hmm. just a characteristic, uh, or I mean, sorry, just a um, a unique aspect of a character and uh, little nuances like that. And it tries to communicate that through gameplay mechanics. So like you said, these uh, little story vignettes of these different uh, family members of this Finch family that all lived in the same house. So like this place takes place in this really cool um, Seuss-esque house that uh edith finch mm. the main character comes across before i go a little further we won't we won't we won't be spoiler we won't be a spoiler podcast or anything now but we'll <laughs> we'll just say now that if you don't want any kind of element spoiled spoiled for you uh you may as well just uh cut Skip to the ahead. end of the little segment right here um it is a two-hour game so you might as well just go play it and come back to us but anyway two hours uh, edith finch yeah it's uh, well i don't know I, if you stop to smell the roses and stuff yeah, yeah it could be a little longer i would say it's even it was even shorter for me yeah the other um, the other editor uh kenneth shepherd he said it took him two hours to beat as well it took me like five hours I don't oh, know man. what i was you, doing you really, I wasn't, you really like, had to capturing let footage it soak or... in like every little thing that's fine. No, yeah, uh, but it um, it's definitely uh like this uh, this very cool environment, like this house that she goes back to, and then the environments that come through these story vignettes. Uh, she goes into the house and she explores all these different rooms, and in each room is either a little diary entry or maybe um, a picture that she finds or something of that nature that uh, invokes and sets us off to this flashback of that character of that sure. family member that has passed and it goes back to like you said their last day and in each little story vignette there is like a gameplay vignette and that yeah. little gameplay sequence is unique to that story mm-hmm. and so that's where the spoilers come in like wh- how you how you experience those moments um a lot of them are really great. Like they really do. Um, I think what they communicate is the each character's imagination. Yeah, it kind of gives you like a lens through their uh, imaginative eye because most of them are young. Not all of them. Um, there are other stories though that are very much based on that character's day to day life or their passion, and uh, generally it's all kind of surreal type uh, imagery. But it all is told with a vocabulary that gamers will understand and gamers will grab onto, like you know, different types of control, different types of control schemes that uh, are intuitive yeah. to the player and easily communicate what you're supposed to be feeling and what that character is sort of supposed to be feeling. And it's uh, yeah, really and effective. I think that's I mentioned that in the the game, or I'm sorry, the review as well is discovering each of these mechanics is it's kind of like part of the fun. And, um, oh, wow. I can't, I guess I can't get into that without going into some of the underlying themes of the story. We so should do a we, Joe. We should do a spoiler cast. <laughs> a spoiler cast. Well, maybe we'll do like one little segment. Like what's one of the segments that uh, spoke to you, uh, that you would be okay with semi spoiling. Like, I think oh. the first one, I th- think the first one is a good, it's emblematic of the game. Like Molly's uh, Molly story. Yeah. yeah. May, or maybe, um, the kid on the swing. Was that, uh, sure. Calvin, uh, Calvin. Yeah. So Calvin was just a little boy who likes rocket ships when he died. And when you play his story, his vignette is him sitting on a swing and 
it's in first person. So you just see the chains of the swing and you're looking out over this uh, cliff with a little picket fence. And that should have been the first sign that something was going to go wrong. But yeah, um, really overlooking yeah, a swing a uh, cliff on a swing. Yeah, but the, it's a bit of a daring <laughs> parent move to throw that thing up there. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, but the game doesn't tell you how you interact with this scene. You learn that um, you can use each of the analog sticks on the controller to control his legs. And I, when I first played this, maybe this was the same for you, Joe. I like, I was like, oh, you can move his his leg. Oh, wait, this one moves his other leg. And then I'm like, holy shit, you can move them both together. Like, what was yeah, what was that yeah. moment like for you? It, it's it's the funny that you know the normal uh, control scheme, like the mapping, is like one. Uh, stick moves the character uh, universally like that just that controls where the character's entire body is going so you don't think often when games sometimes they do do this thing where right is the right side of the control is the right part of the body and the left side is the other side yeah and so it's it had this really cool yeah like moment of epiphany like oh i'm swinging like yeah and then that moment that comes next when you're like, okay, wait, I can move this leg, I can move this leg, I can move them together. And then you start swinging, yeah. And then and it hits you, on the and side. you know, yeah. you just know. And, and that was really special. It, it, that is one of the, the vignettes, too, and I won't spoil, but like um, a lot of these vignettes, they have this great um, arc, this very small arc of discovery, like you said of the mechanic and of the mm -hmm. character story. Like the character story isn't apparent right away. It's that discovery of the character, his or her setting, its story, and then how your interaction works with it. Right. And that moment of discovery is awe-inspiring and excellent. And then almost immediately after that, it gets fucking dark because like yeah. all these stories are about death and sort of normalizing that death yeah and that's kind of beautiful and very interesting and so that arc works almost every time with each of these characters and i that was yeah pretty yeah. pretty incredible and i felt like it's kind of freeing as the player to know that each of these short stories is going to end with death because then you really just enjoy the characters while you have them and you enjoy the making those discoveries with the mechanics. And I think that in my head, I imagine this was an intentional decision. It, it like, cause the underlying theme of, of the, the game is, is about, you know, death and, and life and, um, you know, enjoying the time we have with people when we have them. And, um, yeah. And I felt like, because I knew they were going to die, I could just enjoy my time with him. I felt like that yep. was the point the whole time. It is. It's, I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I thought it was too lofty, uh, a goal for the artist to, to like, that seems so almost, you have to look so far outside of the game into it yeah. to come to that conclusion of that message of the game. Because one of the, uh, criticisms I had of the game on my first playthrough was that the story as it wraps up, I won't spoil anything again, but it feels like it doesn't really have an overarching message because every vignette is kind of isolated and it feels like you're just kind of going through this anthology of characters that are only connected through this house and this video game and a family tree. Right. And that felt kind of empty. And by the time you finished up, you know, you have this family tree of people that you're kind of going through. So once the list filled up, I was like, okay, and I'm done with the list and now the game's over. Mm -hmm. But then looking back on it, going through it again, you start to see like 
that I, I it took me a second time to see that arc yeah. of uh, a character discovering the character's uniqueness and enjoying it and then finding out that it's going to end soon yeah and eventually that being normalized and that i think is a pretty brilliant uh message to get across uh and it takes it takes some absorbing but i think that is hunter what they were going for that's pretty pretty cool Let's talk quickly about a little guy named uh, Ian Bogost. Yes. Uh, if if you have the time. So Mr. Bogost wrote Writer for, for The Atlantic yeah. a little piece that has caused some controversy, questioning whether or not video games require stories or if it's the mm-hmm. best place to tell stories. Uh, basically, the thesis of his entire article is that Edith Finch is – a game that does what it sets out to do very, very well, yeah. to tell a story, an interactive, quote-unquote, story that is featuring the story more than anything else in the video game. And yeah. there's a lot of video games like that right now. Say, let's just throw out the uh, big names, Dear Esther, Gone Home, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, Firewatch. Those games are yeah. more about the environment and about the story than about the actual video game-esque ludological interaction. Right. So... Uh, he challenges this and basically says that it's futile to do so to uh, feature a story because there are other mediums that are better at doing this. He makes a lot of great points about the flaws of video games and how it, and the dissonances that come up with video games and with storytelling. Yeah. And something that is everyone knows about. It's been the problem since we've tried telling stories in video games. Uh, and it it brings up a lot of interesting thoughts, and I just was curious, Hunter, uh, being a proponent of what remains of Edith Finch, what you thought of the article and the points that Bogos was making. Yeah, um, one of the points that stuck out to me was was that he talked about how these, particularly these walking sims, but also these other just other three D games in general, he called them environments because they're basically just sets. He says that you you walk around and you interact with, and he cr- he criticizes them because um, how is how is an environment any different from you know reading about a scene in a in in a book or watching um, watching the scene in a, in a movie, um, and he even criticizes that um, it can be flawed in that if you're playing a video game these in these environments. Um, you might not know as a player where you got to go next. And, and that's frustrating when you're trying to go get a story story out of it. But um, he says Edith Finch does a good job of that because there, there is um, there are gameplay mechanics that convey the messages or, or convey the emotions. And that's not an experience you can get other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I definitely appreciate a lot of those uh, criticisms that he makes. Um, I think, though, that what's unfortunate is the um, the headline is not the issue because the headline is just, uh, you know, bolstering and just tries to capture the attention of the audience. And I think it's a great headline for that. Mm-hmm. You know, just bring up something that's contentious and brings people in to talk about it. And we're talking about it now. Yeah. Um, what was, what think- was the headline of this again? Oh, it was something like, you know, video games are better without stories. stories, Are better without stories, Mm -hmm. right. And there is an argument to be made about the the hindrances stories can be for video games. But I think that 
ultimately his thesis and his conclusion are a bit um, not very constructive and kind of pointless. Like he says something to the effect of video games are never going to be as good at telling stories as other mediums, like yeah, say movies or them. books. And that is fine, I think. And why is that? A pro- I understand why that's a problem. I mean, just video games are never going to be as good at storytelling as movies. Movies aren't going to be as good at storytelling as say books, right? Like yeah. the, he asked the question, why does this need to be told as a video game? And my thought is the same reason Schindler's list needs to be told as a movie. Uh, right. right? It, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be told as a movie. It was told as yeah. a book and then it was told as a movie and people enjoy different aspects of that. Yeah. And he was also talking about just this like one, type of video game storytelling which is you know environmental storytelling was the was a big focus in it and there are different types of storytelling in games and i get that maybe not all of them all capitalize on what makes video games unique for example cutscenes, like i mentioned earlier are basically film you know yeah but that's not just that's not to say they can't be effective you know yeah. um in I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up Tomb Raider man. Um Sure. That's or, fine. That's or even fine. like some some classic games. They you they use cutscenes back in the day as Diablo does this as like a uh a reward mechanic, right? It's supposed it's a way to entice people through the di- through the game with this like bit of story. And think of Overwatch. Why do people play Overwatch? Because they're drawn into the characters and this story that there are different ways to tell story in games and perhaps environmental storytelling isn't the most effective, but it's not to say, Mr. Bagost, that um, video games just should abandon it altogether. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Overwatch because, in my opinion, Overwatch is probably a game that Bagost would like the most. I'm not saying that Bagost doesn't like Edith Finch or doesn't mm-hmm. like Gone Home. Uh, from what I can tell, he probably doesn't. But I mean, <laughs> uh, if if he's looking for games that extricate themselves from uh, story and yeah. from that story ludology dissonance. Um, I think Overwatch would be his perfect game because it exactly does that. It extricates itself from the story yeah. and it allocates it to the uh, wikis and to the videos and all of those mediums that better suit right. story, right? Yeah. So the I think animated that is, cartoon yeah. um, on YouTube. Exactly. And yeah. it, and in my opinion, it works fucking great. Like I love the Overwatch stories cuz like I can in my spare time when I was really high on Overwatch and I was taking the train and I was just like wanted to play more Overwatch, I could look up a stupid wiki and read the wikis on Overwatch yeah. and it was excellent to experience it that way. But I mean, again, yeah, I think that the problem is he I think he's targeting games like Edith Finch and Gone Home. Right. Uh but he doesn't He's not explicit about it, so it comes off as – and also the headline, so it comes off as video games should stop trying to yeah. tell stories. And that's not the argument here. I think the argument he's trying to make is video games should stop striving to be uh, books and movies. I agree. And that I think is not the case either. I don't think that's what video games are trying to do. He also makes this comment like uh, video game – Creators and fans have long dreamed of dethroning books and movies uh, as the ultimate storytellers. And I don't yeah. know what you've been telling everyone, Hunter. I don't know yeah. what you've been – but <laughs> I've never suggested that that's something that needs to happen. I don't know about you though. Yeah, he made the claim in the article that 
yeah, video games are going to be the most supreme uh, medium of storytelling of the 21st century. And yeah. I'm like, whoa, I like my books, I like my TV shows, and I like my video yeah. games. Um, my my interpretation of what his um, overarching message was in that article, Mr. Ghost, was that um, if a game developer is striving to make a game for the story, like Edith Finch is a story-centric game. If you're going in looking for amazing gameplay, fun, adrenaline, like you're not going to find that because that's not what it is. But I mean, the swings like got me going. This, for a yeah. Second. How about you? <laughs> yeah. Or that that one scene at the beginning, the first one you played, that was pretty cool too. But yeah, for um, sure. But when a game strives for story, it should be more Edith Finch and less Gone Home. Um, I think is is what it's it's saying. Sure, I would argue though, like just uh, just to put a cap on the whole Gone Home, like Edith Finch uh, is evolving Gone Home. I happen to like Gone Home a little more than Edith Finch, probably. Really, I love Edith Finch, but I still uh, uh, Gone Home. Just the fact that its nonlinearity uh, is more my speed i guess mm. for that kind of game and it just had a far more emotional impact immediately but yeah still either finch is a fantastic game for sure yeah yeah i i would hate to yeah my my cap on this too would be to say like i would hate to just make some sweeping statement that story um should be any one specific way in a video game or that video games are are better without them um, I just think there are good ways and better ways to, and bad ways to do yeah. story, story in video games. There's a spectrum here and the spectrum is how well, um, one end is t- it takes advantage of, uh, player agency and, and interactivity. And the other end of the spectrum is, you know, cutscenes and linearity. Yeah. I, that I makes want- sense. I- Sure. No, that makes sense. I you hit on something kind of important, so I know we wanted to end it, but I just wanted to hit that like one more thing that Bagost keeps bringing up is this concept of like a binary system of be- better, good, and bad. You know that video game stories will never be better than this. They're yeah. striving to be better, but they're not. And that binary system just doesn't make sense to me. Mm. V- their video game stories are different. Uh, good video yeah. game stories. I understand that. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, there's no such thing as bad or good, but like, I, they are very different and they communicate different things, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be as linear. It doesn't have to be as conventional. Um, and I think Ian Bugose would welcome that. But uh, the way that it it's communicated in his criticism, it sounds like there's this binary line of good and bad and video games will always be low on that line. Yeah. No matter what innovative, cool thing they try. Yeah. What's funny too, is often we measure the success of a story by how much it impacts us and what impacts me in one medium is going to be different from what impacts somebody else. Like I don't get to in um, emotional when I read books. I can read books and really enjoy a story and, and that's great. Um, when I watch TV though, oh my gosh, I get so invested. But there are other people who are the opposite. They don't get the same effect when when they're watching TV as they do when they're reading a book. So sure. I think that um, with that in mind, there there's 
it's silly to, like you said, put it, um, make it this binary system of which is better than the other as a storytelling medium. They're just yeah, different. It just and sounds, they speak to it sounds reductive that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah and why did he said in the article, um, if, you know, why did the game developers choose video games to make this, make Edith Finch's story in? Because yeah. they lo- they like video games, and that's the medium that speaks to them, and that they want it to convey their story. I mean, I mean, I will stand by. I think it's more than that. I think it's more that this video game, this story, could not have been told in effective way as mm-hmm. just a book or just a oh, movie no. or a comic book. Like I, I think it would have fallen so flat because the point is, like we decided, was to enjoy the time with a character while you have it, and yeah. it would have just maybe it would have just come off as like this hall mark movie if like yeah. we, you know made it into a movie but instead it's this great game and so yeah i i am of the opinion that uh, i think we're dumping a little on ian Bogost. ian Bogost makes a lot of points that i do feel there is a problem of narrative ludological distance that we've been arguing about forever yeah. you know it's this this is not the first second or third time this debate has come up you know but sure like i i often say like I often call arcade games perfect. Like I think Resogun is a perfect game and Tetris is a perfect game <laughs> yeah. because there's just nothing wrong with them. They work, they are fun, they're like fair and there's no story in the way. And sometimes that happens in games. Yeah, it does. Uh, I recently played, what's it called? Um, uh, Mr. Shifty and the story totally gets in the way of that game and it's annoying. Mm-hmm. But I think that this also misses on a lot of things, and I'm glad to be here with you, Hunter, to rally around video games and talk about how fantastic <laughs> their stories can be. Yeah, and uh, and Mr. Bogos, I'm sure you're a really cool dude, and um, Joe and I will buy you a drink if we ever see you out. Oh, word. I, w- I, <laughs> I mean, if he's drinking, then I'm drinking, so I'll always be happy with that. Yeah. All right, so Hunter, we're going to get back to uh, our regularly scheduled programming, but thank <laughs> you for coming on and talking about Edith Finch with me. Sure, thanks for having me, Joe. Well, that's all we got for news today. What have you guys been playing this week? Christian, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, before the the huge cluster of stuff that was finals week, uh, I <laughs> basically marathoned through Outlast Two. Okay. And uh, I've got to say, um, if you're if you're really looking for like a fun, creative horror game that consistently surprises you, I'd suggest uh, Bendy and the Ink Machine on Steam, <laughs> which is a uh, a game it's an separate episode from Outlast yeah. 2. Yeah, a game yeah, separate I was from gonna, Outlast 2. That was like a, the weirdest because segue ever. I was expecting <laughs> you to talk Outlast about 2 Outlast 2. That was, I think, the idea, yeah. Outlast 2 was uh, was kind of not not great. Uh, it, it, was, it was a little... It, 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 you know how Outlast 1, like our Outlast classic, I guess, uh, have either of you played it? I have not. No, no I, I played a minute of it with a friend and swore off horror games forever, so... Yeah, so uh, I don't understand. know how Outlast does anything. Um, Outlast one is uh, it it like consistently shocks you. I guess you could say, like it it constantly builds upon itself in a good way. In in a good well in a good way, but also in a horrible what did I just watch way. Oh okay. Uh, and Outlast two, you you kind of see the worst you're gonna see five minutes into the game. Ah. Uh. 
So it's kind of once you go get past that, you're like, okay, well, I, I've seen my character uh, get a pickaxe to the groin in graphic oh. detail five minutes in. It, it's not gonna get. It's not gonna get better than that. It's not going to get damn. much better. I hope it doesn't which, get much worse than that. I, oh, no, I, it, can I ask which end of the pickaxe was it? Like the was it the wide blade or the pointy end? Oh, it was it was the point. It's, it was the bad. Oh, end. No, it was the bad end. Like, it's like oh. an unbearably graphic scene, and it, it's one of the death scenes. Oh and, no! So like the, it probably went like up into the guts and everything too. Oh, oh no! Just just like down, pull down, and then oh, look it was down. down. Okay, yeah. I was thinking like. Like upwards, like nope, not, from knocks you under the ground and just horrific. And uh, then Brutal. cut to black, and like it, the game never gets any. It, it doesn't get any worse than that. So you're kind of just like, uh, okay, I I did that. I can deal with anything now. Yeah, but no, yeah. um, it, it's. I, I think like it, it was fun while I was playing it, but as I went back, I was kind of just like, or. Er, not fun while I was playing with it. It was horrifying while I was playing it, but um, I don't know. Uh, but onto Bendy and the Ink Machine, which is a horror, a free <laughs> horror game on Steam. Uh, it's well, it's an episodic horror game. First episode's free, and it has a uh, an aesthetic inspired by classic Walt Disney cartoons. Oh wow! Oh, weird. Super creepy. All right. Yeah, uh, it's like I I actually really recommend it. it the first episode is fifteen minutes long. And it's like you can just play it on Steam, and it's it's really interesting. Oh, that sounds rad. That's great. It, it, that does sound kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it kind of taps into that. Like it seems like a lot of old Walt Disney cartoons. You'll watch a random one, and there'll be something unexpectedly horrifying. Right. Like all of a sudden, it's like oh, everything's fine, and then they end up in hell. Yeah. <laughs> kinda, yeah. It, just it like that taps. slightly off-putting, like just not not a gr- the greatest sense of humor, just a little too off. For, yeah, the, for and, the kids. And it, it, it really taps into that in a way that I thought was really interesting. Uh, hmm. And uh, other than that, like like I said, haven't gotten much time to do much else. I played the demo of Prey, which... Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, and I, I really like that, that opening scene with, um, like, the... It, it seems normal at first, and then you see everything was, a, like, a trick... Sure. Yeah. The, yeah. There is. Balls. It's hard to talk about prey because, like, they just they drop you a lot of cool instances and a lot of twists, like in the beginning of the game. So it's hard to talk about it because it's kind of a spoiler when you talk about the first right. like ten minutes. But I, I definitely enjoyed it too. Like I'm playing prey yeah. right now, and and that is definitely one of the one of the cooler parts of the game. Though it does get great from there, unlike Outlast too. So <laughs> that I'm thankful for. Yeah. So. so oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, so Joe, you, you've been playing Prey. What, what else have you been playing? I have. I've been playing uh, mostly just Prey. I did, however, I keep jumping into Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. That's still a very good bad game. Like, it is just constructed-wise, <laughs> not great. It's very, you know, finicky. The pickup button, you're just mashing because you don't always pick shit up, and it's just annoying. But I finally played with friends, and it is a fantastic game to play with a friend. You get tactical as shit because, again, look, death matters in this game, and that's all that matters. You need Ubisoft needs to get on this. I keep telling everyone, hoping that someone knows Ubisoft. 
called Mr. Ubisoft. Tell him, listen, yeah. bro, you got to get a uh, Player Unknown Battlegrounds clone out the door. Uh, you got to greenlight that because, I mean, this game is Ubisoft light and with uh it's well like no it's just a third person shooter i should just say that it's like a militaristic third person shooter and i just uh associate that with ubisoft but um that's my own fault uh but it is a third person shooter with permadeath and in this hunger games battle royale format and just that fact alone makes the game fantastic it elevates the game far beyond the sum of its parts uh so it's definitely something worth the checkout it's uh it's 30 dollars. take that take with that what you will it is an early access game but i don't see it rising in quality too much although it could be a game that for years they just keep developing and adding on and it gets greater every time uh the driving is surprisingly good and uh, other than that i'm enjoying playing with friends uh pray i will talk more at length about another time uh, uh we're gonna get jay on uh who is doing the review for us and uh he's been playing a lot of that as have i so we'll definitely get into the nitty-gritties of prey but i will say it, i'm loving it uh it's another arcane studios game and arcane studios as some of you might know the creators of dishonored i'm a big fan of so there's a lot of that in there so i'm definitely excited to play more of it constantly playing more and uh i'll definitely talk more about it later but, uh, Mike, I want to hear about what you've been playing this week. You know, I don't know if I've been... Pl- I mean, well, I played... I, I'm just... I finally got to the last episode of Hitman. And I oh, haven't word. beaten it yet. Um, but I'm, I'm on it now. And uh, so I've been playing that a bit. I've been playing um, Orcs Must Die Unchained with Hunter quite a lot. Which yeah. I love. Like, holy shit, that is a great free-to-play game. Goddamn. Um, it, it's it's really enjoyable. I like strategy games. I like action games, and it kind of does a great job of combining both because it's it's one of those uh, tower or turret defense games. Um, although there are really no turrets or towers, it's more trap defense, but they don't actually call it that. Mm. Um, and then you know you're like usually a some sort of a spellcaster or a melee character or maybe an archer, something like that. And play with up to three people, and um, you just defend against waves of ridiculous orcs and monsters and all this other stuff. And and you can tell they that all the guys have a great sense of humor. It feels a little bit in terms of it's like its playfulness and its humor. It feels a bit like Blizzard in a lot of ways, like how the characters are just over the top and they have these hilarious personalities, and even the enemies have these ridiculous personalities that are just. Um, that are just strangely humorous all the time, like in in a really over the top cheesy way, but it's really appealing. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. And um, I wasn't on last week, so I guess maybe I'll touch on it. But um, last week I was finishing up Sniper. Never get this right. I can never remember if it's Sniper Three Ghost Warrior. No, it's Sniper it's Ghost Warrior Three. Three, yeah. That's what it is. The three is at the very fucking end. I I think I probably I had to correct that so right, many times in my review. Right, because there was a sniper review. ghost warrior before that and a two right. even before that one. Yeah. Right. I had to correct that. I I had to do the like find and replace just to make sure 
that yeah. I got everything right because I was, I, and I did it like three times to make yeah. sure that I did for all three sniper ghost warrior games. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, have to. and I'm still a little worried. In fact, I might even go back tonight and reread it to make That's sure fine. I that's, that up. that's always advisable to, to go um, rework several times. But it was, it's interesting because we, we got it a little late gaming trend, um, got it a bit late and that was not, um, because of us as an outlet, that was because I opted to do the PC version um, and almost every other review out there was the PS4 version. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, but the PC version didn't come out until... I think the PS4 version came out on a Friday, and I got mine on a Monday. So I was already a few days behind. Missed embargo. No big deal. Um, but uh, I really liked it. Uh, like, a lot. And um, it did not very good reviews overall it got sort of mixed it was kind of a mixed bag all over the place a lot of people complained about performance issues or glitches getting stuck in terrain uh flat gameplay flat story yeah um well are some those of that fair I, assessments to, would you say no i i don't think so I, but part of that is because probably because I didn't have a PS4, you know, like there, I didn't encounter a lot of these performance issues. Um, cause I was on PC, so it may have run completely differently on PC. There, there were some issues. I did get stuck in the terrain twice, but in an open world game, if you get stuck in the terrain twice in 40 hours, I'd consider that at this point in this day and age, that's pretty much a fucking win. Mm. Um, so <laughs> You know, and uh, I really liked the gameplay. The story was eh, and some of the voice acting was not so great. Like, there were a few times when the main characters couldn't seem to figure out if they were soldiers, marines, or seamen. <laughs> so, I, like, I don't know. Like, literally, in the same sentence, one of them, refused, I think, referred to being a soldier and being in the Marine Corps. And then... And then the other one talked about, well, the army doesn't feed me well. And then the next sentence, he was like, but I love being a Marine. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> and for you, you're just like, I, you guys yeah, clearly don't know like, what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm like, God damn it. Come on. Like, where's the localization? <laughs> this? Let's, let's there just, let's be consistent here. The dude's supposed to be yeah. in the Marines. The description says Marines. Don't bring up the fucking army. <laughs> um, and Man, you, like, you could uh, specialize in a very specific uh, <laughs> localization slash like uh, what's it called? Uh, you know, advising career. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe. I mean, and it's possible. Like, I know friends who have been in both. Yeah, I have, and, and I actually I have met some people who've been in all three: Marines, Navy, and Army. But it's extremely rare, and I'm pretty sure that was not an intentional like. The dude is supposed to be a Marine Corps sniper. He was never supposed to be in the fucking army. So, anyway, that said, the world was gorgeous. The sniping mechanics were great. The game does a phenomenal job of, even though it's a sniping name or sniping game in its, you know, in, in its title, it forces you to do a lot of other stuff, um, which is great because if it was just like sitting up on a perch sending out your drone and then popping heads for 30 hours that would put you to sleep and you get to do a lot more than that and and a lot of the time you don't know when it's going to happen which is the great part like you don't know you know or maybe you screwed something up and then you got to do something else 
So I just loved that it, it forced you to adapt and to improvise frequently. And that kept it really interesting, even despite the fact that the story was sort of uh, mediocre, I guess, maybe is a good sure. term for it. Mediocre. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I think I gave it an 85, 80 or an 85. I really fucking liked it. Sure. That sounds cool. Oh. I, I got to say, I like to always say that after hearing a, a um, you gushing over a game or you uh, recommending a game, I like to say like, oh, I should check that out. I should check it out. But really, all that you just said just made me want to go back and play a little game called Metal Gear Solid Five: Phantom Pain. I don't know if you played that game ever, Mike. <laughs> But Joe, nobody cares about Metal Gear. Damn! Oh my no one goodness. cares about that. Uh, only me, but, I guess. Yikes! But what about no. the, uh, yeah. the the new Kojima game? Uh, what, what's it called? Death, Death Stranding. Stranding. Yeah, I, can't wait to see that in five to ten years. I well, can't wait. I really hope they say more about it at E3 because all they've told us means absolutely nothing. No, no, I disagree. I think they should just leave it alone until really? they they really have some serious stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Why why bother tell us more? I mean, you know, sense. we'll find out more when the game comes out, you know, just just take your time, go away. We'll need to see more. I think they might have even overstepped with how much they've divulged like all these concept trailers and imagery like it's just it for all we know with how much time that type of game takes or just a kojima game takes the game could change completely by the time we see it again and you see that a lot with video games right i mean fucking prey the game i'm playing right now in essence in a way was technically an entirely different game prey 2 and doom from last year was doom 4 several years ago Neo yeah. came out earlier this year and it was a totally fucking different game because they talk too much about their concepts early on and then things happen because that's what happens in video game development. So I think Christian and you will thank me if they yeah. listen, <laughs> they, they should just go away. I, 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 I get what you're saying there, but like, I, I've just been looking at it and they're like, Oh, it's, it's an open world action game. And I was like, okay, I, I don't, I, I'd like some more details about the gameplay because, I mean, so would they. They are yeah, they are excited true. to hear more about their game that they are developing. <laughs> so once they true. find out, I'm sure Christian, you'll find out more. So, but well, uh, yeah, yeah, I feel you. It, I, I'm I mean, I'm excited too. So I feel you for true. sure. Yeah. It's it's just I heard action game and I was like, well, I didn't think it was like a cart racer. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. It's like, well, fucking duh. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I had a feeling. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe like Kojima goes for some weird story environmental game because he's been trapped in the Metal Gear Solid thing for so long. But I mean, yeah, I saw I saw action game yeah. from him uh, quickly. I so I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, boys, that's enough Kojima talk for me today. I can only I can only stomach so much Japanese video game and Kojima talk in, hey, in one whoa. session. So we're gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to end it there, unfortunately. So. um to everyone out there, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Um, my name is Mike Pierce. You can follow me on Twitter, which is my what do they call it? What's your, what's your thing at Twitter? Is it just Twitter your handle? handle? Your Twitter, yeah, what, Twitter God, handle. God, I sound old. What do yeah. they call it on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, at Grumpy Gamer. That's Grumpy with two R's. You guys can also check out my. God damn it. Here, I got to get it right again. Sniper <laughs> Ghost Warrior 3 review. I did actually review it, I promise. I just can't <laughs> seem to get the uh, the name correct. So go ahead and check that out at uh, GamingTrend.com. And um, you can follow Mr. Christian DeCoster at... 
at Locker Kid. Uh, no, no spaces or anything like that. And uh, you can find my review for uh, Expeditions Viking coming soon. Uh, other, <laughs> on other, GamingTrend.com. On GamingTrend.com. Wow. Because uh, I haven't had time to work on anything else because right. finals. But hey, finals are done, so right yeah. on. Yeah. So look for that. And then uh, Mr. Joseph DeClara, my wonderful co-host with the curly hair and the beautiful voice. Hailing from New York. I'm not sure which one of those isn't true. He said one of those wasn't true earlier. One of those. They all Extra sound points if you me, figure it out. Post in the comments if you find true. out what isn't true. What we do know about Mr. Joseph DeClara is that you can follow him on Twitter at Joey Dagabonuts. That's Joey Bag of Donuts with the D and the B switched. Mike, I always and, feel oh. like a uh, celebrity because you know of Twitter because you know my Twitter handle well. Whereas you ask everyone else to recite theirs as if they're like some chumps off the street. Like Christian, you... could you just spell your last name? I don't understand what's that fucking. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know the pronunciation. <laughs> We're gonna end it there. <laughs> thanks for I... joining us, everyone. We'll see you guys next week. Christian, thanks for coming on. Thanks for good having me. With, uh, good luck with your summer break. Right, everyone, have a good you. night.